And to follow along as I read verses 17 to 25, those uh, nine verses, as we uh, see what the Lord is doing here in Acts chapter 9. Uh, follow along as I'm reading from the New King James Version of God's Word. Verse 17 through 25. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened, and Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the, through the wall in a large basket. Father, we pray that you would have your way with us this morning as we look at this passage, as we look at these first responses to your gospel in the heart of Saul of Tarsus. We see the faithfulness of Ananias and his obedience to you. And God, we pray that you would just have your way with us as we see these examples, or as we see what you did in these men's lives as well as the responses to them. So God, have your way. Pour out your spirit. Lead us into your truth. Do indeed open the eyes of our hearts that we may have understanding. Might your spirit lead us into your truth. Might he glorify our Lord Jesus. Might he teach us. And so God, we just give this time to you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. As we begin, I want to welcome those of you who are joining us on Facebook Live, and as Dan said, we're glad that, that you've allowed us into your home to enjoy this service with us, but we sure do wish you were here with us in person. Come join us as soon as you can. As we continue here in Acts chapter 9, of course, uh, this, has been a, this is an incredible chapter in the New Testament uh, as we see the conversion of Saul of Tarsus taking place in verses 1 through 9. And then last week, as we looked at verses 10 to 16, we see uh, this man named Ananias there in Damascus. As the Lord Jesus uh, came to him in, in, a, in a vision, he appeared to him. He saw the Lord Jesus, and the Lord gave him some instruction in terms of ministering to this uh, Saul of Tarsus, this Pharisee, who was very well known by this time. And as we saw, uh, Ananias... Uh, kind of objected to the Lord to some degree here as, as he said, go, 
go to this house on this street called Straight. There's a man there waiting for you named Saul of Tarsus. And he's going, wait a minute, I've heard about this guy. Yeah, I've heard from many about how he had, has been persecuting the church. And he's come here with letters to, to take people back to Jerusalem with him, bound and, 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 and all. And I don't want to. And we don't see that in the text, but that's exactly what he meant by that. Um, and, you know, and, and I'll ask you guys a question today, even uh, again this morning. Have you guys ever been told by the Lord to do something that you didn't want to do? I, I'm, let me ask the question again. <laughs> Maybe you didn't quite hear that. Is, is the mic on? You guys, can you guys hear okay? Have you guys ever been told to do something by the Lord that you didn't want to do? Yeah, I think we all have, haven't we? We all have at some point in time. And there are times that we have just simply disobeyed because we didn't want to do it. But other times that we have done it, even as Ananias did. And I think that's an important point that we're going to be looking at here this morning in Ananias' response. Well, here we are. The Lord appeared to Ananias, gave him this instruction to go uh, uh, speak with Saul of Tarsus, this persecutor of the church, who the Lord spoke to Ananias and said, he is a chosen vessel of mine. And I think one of the important points that we see here is that Ananias, when he heard Jesus speak to him, when he heard the words that Jesus spoke, and so, so there's a... There, there's a an analogy there for us too. When we see the word of God, when the word of God enters into our hearts and minds, as his word is written on our hearts, it gives us encouragement to obey. The truth encourages us to obey our Lord Jesus Christ. Ananias does obey here. We see here in verse 17, Ananias went his way and entered the house. Let's first look before we get into this passage, let's look at Acts chapter 22, verses 12 to 16, because we see, and we pointed this out earlier, uh, I believe it was in the first week, the first nine verses a couple weeks ago, that we see Luke writing about Paul's conversion on three separate occasions. Here, of course, in the narrative, as it actually takes place, Later in chapter 22, when Paul is giving his testimony before the Jerusalem mob, and then in chapter 26 of Acts, when he is giving his testimony to King Agrippa, on three separate occasions, he didn't have to do that, but he saw this as a very important part of the work of God within the church. And of course, as we see that uh, uh, Saul of Tarsus went on become, to become the Apostle Paul, who went on to write half of the New Testament. Of course, it, this is a very, very, very important event in the life of the church, in the history of the church. In Acts 22, verses 12 to 16, you guys thought I was going to forget, huh? <laughs> no, Acts 20, I almost did. A actually, um, Acts 22, verses 12 to 16. Then a certain Ananias, as Paul is sharing with the, the Jerusalem mob there, uh, a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. 
And so there we see the first part of verse 17, right? Ananias went his way and entered the house. He came to, to Saul of Tarsus there. He came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. In other words, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. We don't see much of that here in Acts chapter 9 in terms of these words of uh, Ananias. All we see here is there in verse 17. As Ananias laid his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see the purpose for which Jesus sent and also the encouragement that Ananias gives him to get up and get baptized. And then we see him responding in that way at the end of verse 18, which we'll get to in just a moment. But I want to back up just a little bit. The, these first five words of this 17th verse, and Ananias went his way. Now, when you hear that term, that somebody just kind of goes his way, what do you think? You know, it's like, the way it's written and the way, the way we use our English language is like, you know, Ananias had this encounter with, with Christ and then he went his way. You know, like, okay, fine, but he went on his own way, right? But... No, what we see here when Ananias had this encounter with Jesus, the command of Christ became his way. He went his way, but his way now was Christ's way. Not that it wasn't before, but in terms of going to Damascus, to this house, uh, uh, he was already in Damascus, but going to this particular house where Saul of Tarsus was, he, wasn't, he didn't want to do that, but that became his way because Jesus told him to do that. You see that? I think it's very cool how, how we, 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 we find that. It's like, might the commands of Christ, might the commands in, in the word of God become the way that we live, our way? Might it guide our path? Thy word is a light unto my path, right? Might it be that? That's exactly what happened with Ananias here. And, and he had the freedom to share with his Lord his own hesitation, I think we do too, but we also need to hear what our Lord has to say to us. He certainly gives encouragement to follow. That's exactly what Jesus did with Ananias, gave that encouragement as he spoke his truth, spoke of his own uh, uh, work in the heart of this Pharisee from Tarsus named Saul. So even in fear, we see that the way of Christ became the way of Ananias, and he went his way and entered into the house. He obeyed. He obeyed because he believed what Jesus had said. And again, there's a correlation to us obeying when we believe what the Word of God says, even if there is an element of fear involved in the command that is given, if we should obey. And 
You know, a, a little phrase that we've heard, all of us have heard a number of times, but we see here a good example of faith over fear. Faith over fear. That, that's just simply one way that, you, that we walk in faith and not by sight, right? Walk by faith and not by sight. Faith in what the Lord has said, faith in who he is, faith in his ability to do his work through us and in us, faith in his ability to watch over and protect us, believing what he has to say. Just believe the Bible. You know, if we just simply believe the Bible, boy, that gives us a lot of overcoming power. In fact, John wrote in 1 John that it is our faith that does the overcoming. We overcome by faith. And so, faith over fear. A very important point that we see here. Now, another thing interesting in this 17th verse, after all this, and where Ananias was just moments before Jesus appeared to him in regard to this man named Saul of Tarsus, understanding who he was and what he had been doing. He enters the house, lays his hands on him, and says, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. He went from an enemy and became a brother, based, again, on the words of Christ. The reality of what God had done in his life and, and just the drastic change. And, and, you know, we can't talk enough about the incredible change that took place in the life of Saul of Tarsus here. We really can't talk enough about that. I mean, that, that is a, a, a beautiful point in, in regard to our own defense of, of, of the gospel and see what happened not only to Saul of Tarsus, but so many hundreds and thousands and millions of people who have followed after Christ and each one of us in this room. The change that has taken place in our lives, a change of direction, right? I mean, this is, this is like an ultimate example of that. But it's your story and my story too. We change. The direction of our lives changed. We did an about-face. That's basically what repentance is all about, right? An about-face, changing direction. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. And suddenly, Ananias saw, and I think that inspired by the Holy Spirit, he used these words, went in and called him Brother Saul. The first time that Saul of Tarsus would hear the term brother from a Christian. Right here. And it was a very welcoming kind of a greeting. You know, he's saying, I, I'm, I'm coming to you as your brother. The Lord Jesus, who met you on the road, sent me to you. He told me all about what's happened to you. Welcome to the family of God, Brother Saul. You know, it's like that's what he's saying to him. You know, and what a great deal of comfort that must have caused him. And of course, Saul had been fasting and praying for three days by the time this takes place. And we, we talked about that last week. But, you know, some very, very cool things taking place. And, and, and in regard to this, in regard to the term Brother Saul, John Stott wrote this. He, he wrote, I never fail to be moved by these words. 
They may well have been the first words which Saul heard from Christian lips after his conversion, and they were words of fraternal welcome. You know, and it's it just an incredible truth in regard to that. And, and might we, in the way that we relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we have to have that fraternal welcoming spirit with one another. Even when there's a time of, you know, there may be a time of rebuke or something like, like, like that that's necessary. But we do so with this heart, with this heart that was expressed by Ananias there with Saul of Tarsus. So he, he tells him that, that the, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me. This same Lord Jesus who met you on the road here came to me and spoke to me. And he sent me to come to you. You know, and, and again, this identifying with this new walk that, that Saul of Tarsus is beginning. And don't you know that he was seeking the Lord for instruction? In fact, that's what Jesus had told him. Remember, in, in those first nine verses, Saul of Tarsus, you know, when, when, when he was knocked to the ground by the glory of the light of Jesus, and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What were Saul's words? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard to kick against the goads. And then Saul said, what? What do you want me to do? Jesus told him, go into Damascus and you'll be told. You'll be instructed in what to do. So, so a part of that three days, he's just kind of waiting for some instruction. And there's no more detail given in terms of what Jesus said to Saul. I mean, he didn't give any instruction that we know of in terms of who was going to come, if Jesus was going to reappear to him, or if he's going to send somebody, or we don't know. He didn't know, apparently, and suddenly this this brother by the name of Ananias comes in, calling him brother, and says, the Lord Jesus, the same Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, he has sent me. And he says this, that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 18, we, we see some immediate results. Immediately, we see that word there. Immediately, there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Something like scales. Now, reading that, it's like we're picturing this, okay, what, what actually happened here? I mean, were, were, were there some kind of scales that closed Paul's eyes? And then, you know, I mean, Ananias prays for him, and then the, the table starts rattling because these scales hit the, ta hit the table or something, you know? Is that, what, was, it, was it that noticeable? Um, th this is actually a medical term. And, of course, Luke, writing as a doctor, uses this term, and it seems like it's a euphemism for blind eyes being opened, basically. That's, that's the euphemism that a doctor would use. It, it, it is found in, in other writing from doctors you know, in the first century, that, that, that terminology. So it's a, it's a medical term for blind eyes being opened. 
And that's basically what that means. I mean, is this literal? Is it simply figurative? I mean, could it be that there was some kind of a, a light film over the eyes that kind of disappeared? And, you know, and, and, you know it, it's hard to know for certain. The main point, though, is this. Jesus sent Ananias that his eyes would be opened, and his eyes were opened. That's the main thing. Let's not get lost in the details. You know what I mean? Because we, we can do that. We can start chasing rabbit trails because of these details. And wait a minute. No. The Lord sent him that his eyes may be open, and his eyes were open. Now, he also sent him that he might be filled with the Holy Spirit. As we see there in verse 17, this, these are Ananias' words to Saul. Obviously, these are things that the Lord had spoken to him. They might be filled with the Spirit. So even as he laid hands on him and he received his sight, we must, of course, believe that when he laid hands on him, he also was filled with the Spirit, even though there's nothing mentioned about that specifically here. But certainly, we see that in Paul's actions that follow. And we see that in the effectiveness of his actions, which we'll, which we'll look at in just a couple of minutes. He received his sight at once. One of the things in regard to this receiving the Spirit, Pastor Chuck Smith wrote this. He wrote, Remember, Ananias is not an apostle, just an ordinary disciple, and yet God is using him as the instrument to lay hands upon Paul that he might be healed, receive his sight, and that he might receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You know, and, and there are many who would hold a position that, that the uh, praying for someone or, or someone receiving the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit, it needed to be take place through the hands of one of the apostles, uh, which which followed the Lord Jesus, of course, and that's not necessarily so. I mean, as we even as we talked last night or last last week, excuse me, the the, the days come together for me uh, nowadays. I don't know about you guys, but uh, last week as we were talking about this, you know, this idea of Ananias, this seemingly obscure. Jewish man who came to follow after Christ there in Damascus, how that happened, we're not even told, but obviously the gospel came to him, he responded, and he's just following after, after the Lord, and suddenly the Lord appears to him and he says, go talk to Saul of Tarsus, you know, and, and we never hear or see anything from him again after this. This, is, this was his one mission in the New Testament to speak with Saul of Tarsus, pray for him, lay hands on him, that he may receive his sight, and that he might be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened. We never hear from him again. And so, obviously, not an apostle, not someone who held a great deal of importance in terms of the work of the church within the first century as the church was, was founded and moving forward at this point, but he did play a very, very important role, as we talked earlier. You know, one of the, I mean, we, we could make an argument that this is the most, most important salvation experience of any person in the history of the church. 
I think that argument could be made. Let me ask you guys this. How many of you have said, or at least thought, when I get to heaven, I want to talk with Paul? I have. You guys said that? Raise your hand if you've said that or thought that. Not too many of you, huh? You need to be, you need to be reading more of Paul's letters, I think. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, just a, an important, important figure within the church, no doubt. And so, as, and then at the verse of eight, at the end of verse 18, and he arose and was baptized. Now, and then in verse 19, it says he received food. Note the order of these events. He didn't say, you know, I need to grab something to eat. You know, give me some locks and bagels, then we'll go get baptized, okay? But I'm hungry. No, he didn't say that. Let's go get baptized. I want, to, I want you to baptize me. You know, and, and uh, again, note that apparently it must have been Ananias who baptized Saul of Tarsus. That had to be the case. Uh, now, I guess it could be that he went to the church and found whoever is the pastor of the church there in Damascus and had him do it. I mean, that's a possibility. But in the absence of anything written, it, it seems like this is probably what happened. But he had his priorities right. The spiritual thing comes first before the physical things. Bottom line. Bottom line. Spirit over flesh, right? Spirit over physical and material. That, that's something that we see uh, given to us in this particular passage. He was baptized to express his new faith in Jesus as Messiah, as the Son of God. Something that he had been fighting against and actually working to stop and seeing to it that people were even killed as a result of their position. And then suddenly he comes to this place where he now owns that position that he once fought against. Incredible, incredible, incredible change. But he's baptized to show what Christ has done in his life baptized to show that he identifies with Christ and identifies with anyone else who was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, very, very, very important aspect that we see here. Then he received his food, verse 19, and spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. You almost see him kind of recovering here. You know, I mean, this was an incredible experience. I mean, emotionally drained, physically drained. He, he had been fasting for three days. He was blind for three days. And then suddenly, all, I mean, these things are happening. But he spent some days there with the disciples, not just with Ananias, but with the disciples there in Damascus. And we see him joining in with fellowship with them. Life totally changed. Not only was he baptized, but he joined in with them in fellowship. Um, what a turnabout. What a turnaround for Saul of Tarsus. Now, calling these disciples that he came there to destroy, calling them his new family, basically. 
That's what we are, a family, aren't we? Brothers and sisters in the Lord, we're a family. That's what he's calling them. And it's like it's, it's, uh, the, 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 the change is so stark, just incredible to see this. But once your mark of a transformed life, after having come to Christ, is the desire to be with our fellow believers, to be with our brothers and sisters. And fellowship is so, so important. You know, it, it just, um, Acts 2.42 just, just comes to my mind. You know, this, what, what takes place in the church, what took place at that particular time. And the first thing that they had done is that the, first and foremost in that list there in Acts 2.42, as we look at it, and I have to look at it right now to make sure that I do it right because it's not coming to my mind at the moment. But they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine first, and secondly, fellowship, thirdly, prayers, excuse me, thirdly, the breaking of bread, and then fourthly, in prayers. Doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, which speaks of worship, and prayers. And in the New Testament, whenever we see a list like this, uh, normally the, the most natural way to take the list is that it's listed in priority, in priority. Apostles' doctrine, the word of God first, secondly, fellowship, even over the breaking of bread, which speaks about worship, and prayer. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's not how we normally think of things. But fellowship with our fellow believers is extremely, extremely important. And that's one of the reasons we do our uh, Koinonia Sundays on a monthly basis. We, we want to make sure that we provide an opportunity for all of us to gather together to have fellowship with, with one another. And what do we do? What's the best way to have fellowship? When you're eating, right? Actually, I don't, I don't really believe that, to be honest with you. But it sure works. <laughs> I, I think the best way to have fellowship when we are serving alongside each other I think that's the best form of fellowship, serving alongside, serving Jesus with, with other people and having fellowship as we're doing that. I think that's the best way for that to take place. But speaking of the change, Paul would write to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.17, a verse that you guys are familiar with. He wrote, therefore, if anyone is, is in Christ, he's a new creation Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul was writing what he understood very, very well. He understood it. He experienced it and was still experiencing it even as he wrote it. But this is a truth. We become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And that's something that is important for us to identify with. And John wrote also in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, he wrote, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his bro brother abides in death. You know, in another location there in, in that letter, John writes, How can you say you love God but you hate your brother? Right? If you, if you love God and you hate your brother... You're a liar. I love the way John does that. I mean, 
I think it's important to read John, 1 John once in a while because there's a real test of our faith in reading that. The psalmist, Psalm David in Psalm 119, verse 63, wrote, I am a companion of all who fear you and all who keep your precepts. So this idea of fellowship, obviously a very biblical thing, uh, but again, the very group of people that, that, that Saul of Tarsus came to Damascus to, to bound and take back to uh, Jerusalem to destroy their lives, perhaps some of them even losing their lives through execution for blasphemy. As Stephen was executed back in chapter 7, very possible that's what he had in mind. It's likely that's what he had in mind, at least for some of them. Yet now he's joining them in fellowship. Verse 20. Immediately. So as we see verse 19, we, we see Luke writing, and this is what was taking place in general at this time, but I, I think we kind of have to go from verse 18 to 20 to see the, the, the flow of events here. You know, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And preaching Jesus, preaching Jesus as the Christ, he is indeed the Messiah that was predicted, prophesied to come in the Old Testament. He's preaching Christ, the Christ in the synagogues, and that he is the Son of God. The message of Paul was all about Jesus. Not about a change of life, but about who he is, the Messiah the Son of God. If we don't preach who Jesus is, the change can't take place. But first and foremost, the first change is understanding who indeed Christ is, that we can actually be saved from our sin because that's why he came. He came to take away the sin of the world, as John the Baptist cried, right? As he cried out. That's why he came. It's about who Jesus is and what he came to do. But there are other things that happen as well, subsequent, important, but not as important. They, they come as a result of the thing that is, of course, most important. And as, as Luke writes here, Saul immediately preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. In Jesus' day, everyone knew what the Son of God meant. Uh, to be called the Son of anything, of someone, uh, that meant that you were totally identified with that person or that thing that you're a son of, whatever it may be. And their identity was your own identity. So when Jesus called himself the Son of God, he was claiming deity. Two different occasions that we see in the, in, in, in the Gospels. There are more than this, but at least two. We see in John 5, 17 and 18, Jesus answering the Jews and says, My father has been working until now, and, have, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. They saw that as blasphemy. They, they attempted to get him to execute him for his blasphemy. 
And also in Matthew chapter 26, verses 63 to 65, we see Jesus uh, before the high priest being silent. But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. So they understood. So Jesus being the Son of God meant something that all the Jews understood what it meant. They thought it was blasphemous. This is the very reason that, that Saul of Tarsus wanted to put an end to this new movement called the Way, because in his eyes, it was blasphemous. But in this appearance of Christ to Saul on the road, his eyes were opened. Even as we prayed, as we sang, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that's what happened to Saul. Apparently, it is consistently happening to us in our walk with the Lord. Later in Paul's ministry, in terms of this foc the, the, the focal point of his teaching, in 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul wrote, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. And then... A few sentences later, really, in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, verses 1 and 2, he said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We see also a few verses later, Paul writing that he came to them in, in fear and, and in trembling. I, I believe that what that's all about there, when he writes that, and it's like he received a renewed focus on his preaching ministry after he left the city of Athens in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter, in Acts chapter 18, that's when he arrives into Corinth, and that's what he's talking about here that I arrived, uh, when, I, when I came to you, didn't come with the excellence of speech or of wisdom. I think he's thinking about his experience in the Areopagus there in, in Athens. And I think that he was very impressed with the wisdom of these philosophers, very, very well known, obviously, throughout the world. And he was there with them, and he himself, as an intellectual, I think he got caught up with that. And you'll, and you'll note in the, the sermon that, that he preaches there in the Areopagus, he does not mention the name of Christ. He speaks about resurrection to a point that even those philosophers, philosophers thought, well, this must be some kind of new, new religion, this resurrection. We'd like to hear about that later. That's what impressed them. Didn't speak about Christ. Just didn't mention his name. I mean, he says some cool things in it, but he did not preach Christ and him crucified and there were a couple of believers, a, a, a church was established there in Athens, but I, I, I believe when he left there, I, I think the Lord Jesus kind of slapped him around a little bit and go, what is wrong with you? You know how we can 
attempt to belong to a certain group of people and it hinders our witness to them? Because we want to have a sense of belonging with them, a sense of belonging to the wrong group of people. We belong to Jesus. We belong in the church. Now, we are in this world, but we are not what? Of it. Right? We can't find true fellowship with people who don't know Jesus. Our focus changes. Not that we walk away from them like they never were a part of our lives. No, God has them in our lives so we can minister to them. But our, our relationship changes with them when we come to Christ. We, we begin to see them as lost, and they become people that we want to witness to, to be a witness to, not to have fellowship with, because they'll drag us back to that old way of living if we allow that. We have fellowship with each other. The strength, the strength of fellowship is, is very, very powerful. But bottom line again, I, I think the Apostle Paul had an experience in which the Lord used it to come to a refocus on his ministry. So I came to you not in, in, in with the excellence of, of speech or of wisdom declaring the testimony of God. I determined to n- not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Would he talk about the resurrection? Of course he would. The focal point is Jesus the Christ, he was crucified. Jesus the Christ, crucified. That was his focus. In the remaining verses here, verses 21 to 25, we see a varied response to Saul of Tarsus. Look at verse 21. Then all who heard, now who heard? All. This is speaking about all who heard. All who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? Isn't the guy who's been wreaking havoc in the church came here to destroy people who believed in Jesus, and now he's talking about Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God? Incredible. They were absolutely amazed. They were astounded. They couldn't believe their ears when they heard of what Saul of Tarsus had to say about who Jesus is. A total change of course for this man. So of course they were amazed. And then verse 22 says, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. And so we see Luke noting that Saul increased in his strength, in his ability, basically in his skill of apologetics. This is what he's talking about. He's able to prove that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the Messiah of God, is indeed the Son of God. He was able to prove that through the Old Testament scriptures as he went into the synagogues. That what we, that's what we basically see here. In, increased in strength, all the more in strength, 
confounded the Jews who dwelt there, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. And then in verse 23. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down to the wall in a large basket. Uh, obviously, one of the disciples uh, had a home uh, against the city wall. There was a window in that wall, and as the Jews were watching the main gates, they let, they let, that, they let Saul down in a, in a basket through that window down to the ground, and he escaped. This is, this is the first time that we ever see in the New Testament a basket case. Saul of Tarsus was, I think, a basket case those three days he was praying. And now it's proven he's let down in a basket. Anyway, well, he escaped. But I think it's important to insert something here because somewhere here, either between verse 21 and 22 or between verse 22 and 23, we see a three-year gap, which Luke doesn't talk about. If we go to Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18, Paul writing to the Galatian church, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. Back to Acts 9, notice the 26th verse. After he escapes Damascus, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, but Paul wrote to the Galatian church that when he got saved, he didn't go to Jerusalem right away. He went to Arabia. And there's a three-year period of time before he actually goes to Jerusalem. It would seem that what took place is this. And I, I think that when, when we see... Verse 22, it's saying, but Saul increased all the more in strength. I think this three-year period, or it could have been a two, two-and-a-half-year period there in Arabia. Then he comes back to Damascus and, use, and, and spends some time there. And then verse 23, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Well, from the time that he actually entered into Damascus, which began hanging out with the disciples, um, and before, he went, uh, they, before they plotted to kill him, I mean, that was about a thousand days or so. Three, three years. Because we see Paul's words to the Galatians. This is where this fits in. I, I believe that that time in Arabia was used by God as he spent time, as Saul of Tarsus spent time, you know, in the scriptures. He wanted to, to be able to handle the scriptures in such a way that he could prove that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And, and I think this three-day uh, uh, time of fasting and prayer, 
I think the Lord probably laid that on his heart during that time. He said, you know, I, I've, I've never, I've been working against this thought, this, this, this way, the, the, the idea that this Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, is the Messiah. I've got to be able to show that he, you know, I, I'm thinking something like that must have been going on with him. But one thing for certain is that he took a, a, a long time, a, basically a three-year period of time seeking the Lord on his own, and the Lord instructed him in terms of what the gospel is, how it, uh, how it came to be, the, the way that it can be proved even through the Old Testament scriptures. And then he came back to Damascus, having been increased... In, in his skill, as we see there in verse 22, increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. I think it fits well there. Some believe it takes place before 23, now after many days were passed. I, I think that, that it, fit, it could fit there too. Exactly where it fits doesn't matter, but we have to acknowledge that there was a three-year period of time when, when Saul of, Tars of Tarsus did this, went to Arabia. And by the way, uh, one of the commentators I read stated that Arabia stretched up to the north to a point where it was not all that distant from Damascus in, in that particular day and time. But he could have gone down to the Sinai Peninsula too. I, again, those details don't really matter. What matters is he sought after God. God met him. And the Lord Jesus Christ directly gave him this teaching of who he is. And, and, and we, we see Paul writing that later. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3. Paul writes, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already. And then to the Galatians in the first chapter, uh, a few verses before what we already quoted about him going to Arabia, in verses 11 and 12, Paul wrote, But I make, known, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm certain that he's speaking about that time with the Lord in Arabia. You know, it, 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 it was a sabbatical that he took to study so that he could more clear, be more clear in his defense of Jesus as the prophesied Messiah. Does that make sense to you guys? That's exactly what took place. You know, so it, it's, it's a good thing. You know, sabbaticals aren't necessarily a bad thing. They, they can be worthwhile, but certainly we, we need to have you know, may, maybe what we could call little sabbaticals often, like at least weekly, where we're really getting some, 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 some uh, good time in the Word of God, studying something that the Lord has laid on our heart, you know, an area of confusion or something that, 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 we, that has come, come into our minds. And so we, you know, we, we dig into God's Word, you know, and, and, and find what He has to say about that. And so that period of time, and I'm certain that that three-year period was all about that. But then we see the, the beginning of verse 23, the second response. There are the differing responses here. We, we saw in um, verse 
21, all who heard were amazed. Now, verse 23, the Jews plotted to kill him. After he was increased in strength and proving that Jesus is the Christ. Isn't it amazing how, I mean, we can have an agenda based on something that simply is not truth. And that agenda can cause us to reject truth as it comes to us. Because the truth comes to us and, 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 and changes what we had thought, that's exactly, I mean, Saul of Tarsus could have done the exactly same thing. But it can be argued that the, that the brilliance of the glory of Christ appearing to him, bright, uh, brighter than the sun, as he later states, that had an impact on him. But let's not play this game. Well, you know, if the Lord would appear to me like that, I would be changing too. No, no, let's stop that. As a result of that, Paul wrote what he did to show us. But isn't it true that we have had that light shining in our hearts on a regular basis, the Holy Spirit, His love shining through us, in us? It's true, isn't it? We, we, we have experienced him in a very real way. Although our walk with the Lord isn't based on experience, it's based on the truth of God's word. We thank God for the experiences that he gives to us. It's helpful. It's helpful. It's helpful to go to a, to a retreat. It's a retreat is kind of like a sabbatical, a weekend sabbatical. And men, we're going to be doing that. We're a weekend together as we... Take this time away to seek God together as men. That's what, it, that's what a retreat's all about. I encourage you guys, get signed up and come with us. It's going to be a, an amazing, amazing time. Here we see Saul of Tarsus being persecuted by the Jews. The plot became known. They let him down through this hole in the wall and so forth. This is the first of many, many, many different persecutions that would come his way. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 to 12, we see these words. But you, as Paul writes to young Timothy, the pastor at the church in Ephesus at the time, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All who desire to live godly. Okay, I'm going to ask you the question. The question, do you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus? Amen. Expect persecution. Expect it. It's not an anomaly. It's something that's supposed to happen. Jesus said it will happen. If you desire to live godly in the Lord, then persecution is going to come. It just will. Because we live in a world that hates Jesus. We live in a world that hates him. As Jesus spoke in John chapter 15, uh, you know, know, know this, you know, if, if, if the world hates you, know this, that it hated me first, right? We see in Matthew chapter 10, 
beginning in verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, he's speaking to his apostles here. He sent the 12 out for a tour of ministry. And he tells them, I send you out as sheep among wolves. But that has not changed. He sends us out as sheep among wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as as doves. But beware of men. Let's let's take that to heart. Jesus said, beware of men. People in general, beware. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. The following verses speak about families being separated because of the gospel and so forth. Verse verse 22, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Now, Jesus isn't saying, if you endure, you'll be saved. What he's saying is, if you endure, it shows that you are saved. That's what he means by that. That's what that means to us. Well, if I can just hang in there, then I'll go to heaven. No, no. Because you're going to heaven, you'll have the strength to hang in there, to persevere, right? That's what that means. And verse 28, And do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Wow. I think that's an important thought right there. You know, um, as our culture grows further and further away from biblical truths, it means that the likelihood of severe persecution becomes greater and greater. And... We need to be aware of this, guys. You know, it's like, so what are you going to do? You're going to destroy my body? Please do that. I'm going to be with the Lord. You know what I mean? Fear the one who can both destroy the body and the soul. But not just the one that can destroy the body. This this tells us that, that Jesus is teaching us Again, priorities. You know, the, the physical, our physical bodies just simply aren't that important. And as we're going to be doing these memorial services coming up, you know, every one of these services is for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And while their bodies got destroyed, whether it was through sickness or disease or whatever it may have been, you know, the body became destroyed and, and was destroyed. It expired as the, the clinical, tech, you know, term may be. But that person, as we know Paul wrote, to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. And we will not die. So, you know, I mean, as we face persecutors, it's like, you know what? You can destroy my body, but you cannot touch my soul. You cannot touch my soul. I think that's important to you. And it can be helpful to us in terms of some of the strength that we get from Jesus as he speaks truth into our heart, the strength we receive to be a witness for people around us. For people around us. You know, and, and if the Lord wants us to continue on in ministering to people, continuing on 
you know, uh, speaking with people, sharing, sharing the word with them, being a witness before them, he'll protect us. But the moment he's through with us, he'll take us. I think it's a very biblical concept right there. So we're still here. So guess what? God still wants to use us. Still wants to use us. You know, and I'll know when I'm through with ministry, when I'm face to face with Jesus in heaven. Until that day, until that day, we occupy until he comes. We're about the Lord's business until he comes. Amen. Even as Saul of Tarsus, he changed. Dramatic change. The change that takes place in us is these kinds of things we're talking about right here. Persecution indeed will come. Let me encourage you guys. You know, the, the, the next time God gives you a little nudge to pray for somebody, please do it. As I shared last week, we don't know the impact that that can have in that person's life. You know, it, 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 it is so true. I mean, Ananias going to, to Saul to pray for him, the only action we see him take for the Lord in the New Testament, but incredible consequences, incredible results that the Lord used. And, you know, he may only send you to pray for a few people. But one of those people might be ministering to thousands. Millions, in the case of Saul of Tarsus. And he still is ministering to my heart today. How about you guys? Pray for someone. Father, we do pray that you'd have your way with us. Might we be like Ananias, who simply said to you, here I am, Lord, when you called. Others who responded in that same way. And, and, and Lord, thank you that you allow us to cite our own confusion and our own concern. But basically with Ananias, you told him, go to the street called Straight. He argued with you a bit. Then he told him again, go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine. So he went. Might we go? Might we be open to hear? Might we have a sensitivity toward others around us? Even as we're going to have prayer up on the front after the service, I pray that, that some of your saints here will take advantage of that. But Lord, even as fellowship takes place in this sanctuary after the service is over, as it takes place outside the building, Lord, might we have a sensitivity to each other, to the need for prayer that somebody might have. Or might we be ministering to one another in that way. Thank you, Lord. And God, as we will see as we continue on through the book of Acts, the, the incredible results of this this change, this conversion of Saul of Tarsus. We pray that we will just simply be amazed, not surprised. I mean, we, we know the story, and we know what you can do, but amazed at who you are 
what you do in a person's life. And might we look forward to those changes that you continue to make in us as you give us direction. Give us strength. Give us courage. Fill us with your word, your truth, that we be encouraged to do what you've called us to do. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.